So the title of this morning's message as we get into this portion of the book of First Peter is, as you can see, well, that's not all of it. Uh, somehow it got cut off. Uh, I'll alter that if you don't mind. And if you're writing, the title is A Proper Defense. A Proper Defense for Wives, Husbands, and All Believers. Uh, that first part is not up there, so we'll work on that down the road. But that is the theme which we come to at this portion of the Bible, chapter 3. A proper defense for wives, a proper defense for husbands, and a proper defense for all believers. You know, we seem to be living in an age where relationally the world is engaged in defending itself. From our top government leaders on down through state leaders, school superintendents, law enforcement, and a society that argues about the right way and the wrong way to live, it seems we often find ourselves needing to defend ourselves against an offensive onslaught of some sort. Republicans against Democrats, various groups like Black Lives Matter against an assumed historical error ethnically. The cancel culture wants to defend their presumed right to cancel all American history as we know it and start over, oh my. Muslims, Jews defending their position religiously in arguing that a God, their God, cannot be so narrow that he would only have one way to heaven. Unfortunately, this defense mentality has worked its way into closer relationships and areas of concern. Children defending themselves against a parent as if they own the right to tell the parent how they will live. Children defending themselves against teachers and, and all authority, but one of the most critical areas where the conflict of a defense mentality or defense mode comes into play is in the area of marriage. And I want you to look again at verse 15. We read it. Let's read it aloud. Ready? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we as Christians, more specifically biblical Christians, have always viewed Peter's admonition right here in this text as the reference, the signature reference for something called apologetics. Now the word there, defense, in the original language is uh, apologiae. And it does mean to defend. And from that we get the system that we call apologetics, defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't disagree with that. That is clear that this is certainly a signature verse. But I'd like to 
go ahead and widen the horizon of this command to involve not just wives and husbands, but every believer. Every man, woman, and young person that has said yes to Christ. Why do I do that? Look at the verse again, verse 15. There's a comma at the end of that verse, which means it must intimately be connected to verse 16 that says, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In other words, whether you're a wife, a husband, or a Christian of any age, you and I are to have a clear conscience about following the scriptural instruction that takes place from verse 1 all the way to verse 15. Let me say it again. You and I are to have a clear conscience about how we are following the scriptures that begin at verse 1 and go all the way to verse 15. And to do that, to be able to say, yes, with all of my heart, I am endeavoring to follow the instruction of God's word, you must first sanctify the Lord God in your heart. If you're watching at home, we're honored to be in your living room, but to sanctify the Lord God in your heart means that you've recognized that you are a sinner in need of Savior. And that ultimately, sin has separated you from a relationship with Almighty God. But that the truth of the Bible says that Christ went to a cross 2,000 years ago, was brutally beaten and crucified and died and rose the third day so that you, by faith in him, may be forgiven and back into a relationship with God. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set him apart. It's a right position. And so to reiterate... A proper defense for wives, husbands, and every believer is that our lifestyle, key word, our lifestyle will resonate with the characteristics that we find in verses 1 through 14. And that that is what will behave as a proper defense against any offensive assault of any degree, whether it's by neighbor, family, friend, or foe, your life in Christ being lived out and Christ living his life out in you is a proper defense. And it goes without saying that if that's the case, there's not necessarily a need to be a theologian and study things like ecclesiology and soteriology and uh, e what do I mean by that? Ecclesiology, the study of the church. Soteriology, the study of man. And throughout systematic theology, there is each one of these subject matters that it is well worth to study and to know you should know it. 
And you can study it. Grab yourself a systematic theology book and in your recreational reading, read through it. But your lifestyle and mine is a proper defense. Now the text before us begins in chapter, uh, in verse 1 with the subject of wise. May I draw your eyes back to verse 1? And let's read it. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. In order to understand where the Apostle Peter is going, we need to know where he's coming from. And you notice there the word likewise. It references us back to chapter 2, verse 23. If I could draw your eyes to there. Verse 23 of chapter 2 says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. The offense of assault on Jesus Christ, that's who that verse is referring to. Verse 21 says, For to you this were for to this you were called because Christ also suffered. And that subject follows through. And so the offense offensive assault in his life was to be reviled, to be suffered. But what did he do? He committed himself or he submitted himself to his father who judges righteously. And so Peter is now tying that submission as he begins to speak to wives, to husbands, and to every believer. As he said, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won, won over, that they may come your way if you're a wife this morning and your husband isn't obeying the word, that they will come your way by the conduct of their wives. And he goes on in verse 2 to begin to uh, list uh, an observation of things taking place in a godly wife. Now, we'll get there. There are five characteristics that we're going to mention. Uh, so I'd like to just comment, uh, I'd like to read through it with you. We do know that Peter was married. According to 1 Corinthians 9, 5, Paul talks about the fact that Peter was married. Uh, so let's read it together, going on from verse 2. Uh, in the middle there, it says, uh, when they observe your, he's, so he's writing to, speaking to wives, your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted God, that's a key phrase there, also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, 
calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if, and you could circle that word, because it's also translated since, whose daughters you are, if, or since, you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now what's true and important to take note of is that it was common in first century Christianity that women who had come to Christ were asking the question, should I leave my husband? Should I take a superior role over him? Should I treat him any different than I was treating him prior to coming to faith in Christ? And I'd like to put a disclaimer here this morning. And that is is that if you are a single person here today, if you're a single woman, single man, well, let's stick with the women. If you're a single woman, don't check out on me. In other words, don't just say, well, okay, he's talking to Mary. I'll, I'll doodle or something. Because this text and this instruction is for women in general, younger and older, that are walking with the Lord. And guys, we're going to get to you in a minute. But you ladies, single or not, may find these things important for your present and your future, should your status ever change, and if it never does, the things that are here are timeless. All right, so we have these five characteristics, godly character for a wife or a female. Notice what they are. A submissive attitude, chaste conduct and behavior, outward adornment, inward adornment, following examples of godly women, from the Old Testament. Under that first characteristic, submissive attitude, notice it says, to their husband. Uh, We went through a revolution in the 60s where the women's revolution, some of you may even remember that, where it was like, we're just going to live life the way we want to. We're no longer going to be under this, you know, hard thumb of men. And from that point forward, we've had uh, amazing or interesting strides in the individuality of women. Unfortunately, some men have perverted the idea that God has here of a wife being submissive to her husband. It has been perverted often by overbearing husbands, overruling men who seek to control rather than bless. And that's not what God is talking about here. It's clear that the the command, the admonition, the exhortation is for submission to her husband. Not to just every man. But what we need to remember is what took place in Genesis 3.16. Because there we're told God said to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. If you uh, investigate the original language there, what that really is saying is that because of the fall of mankind from 
an intimate relationship with God. Sin entered the world and therefore came to all men, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One of the consequences that takes place in the female wife is that she wants to rule over her husband. Now, I know that doesn't apply to anybody here. But that is a consequence of the fall. And what it takes to turn that consequence around is a changed life. The introduction of a savior. That's why this letter is to godly wives, godly women. The next characteristic is chaste conduct and behavior. I'll read to you Webster's Dictionary of what it means to have a chaste conduct. There are three uh, statements. One, pure from all unlawful commerce of the sexes, applied to persons before marriage, signifying their purity. So Peter's saying, hey, before you get married, uh, your conduct should be pure. But he's also relating to those who are married, undefiled, applied to married persons, true to the marriage bed. In other words, a wife isn't to be looking around for someone else to satisfy her sexually. Number two, free from obscenity. While they behold your chaste conduct, to be, to be absent of obscene things in the wife's life. He goes on to say, in language, pure, genuine, uncorrupt, from barbarous phrases. I know when I first came to Christ, I mean, one of the things that repulsed me, and still does today, I, it breaks my heart, is to hear a woman swear. Is to hear a woman come out with a bunch of foul language. Not that language in itself is indicative of where a person is at or their heart, but we're talking about God wanting to work in the lives of wives and women in general. A third characteristic here is uh, outward adornment. See where he says there, um, he says, uh, let your adornment be, uh, don't let your adornment be merely outward. And then he explains what that is, arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, putting on fine apparel. So in other words, God in his word, Peter in his letter, who himself had a wife, gives license and clarity and encouragement for the woman, the wife, to be taking care of her appearance. I, I revert back to the you know, the women's revolution of the 60s when I remember watching TV. I was pretty young at that point in time, but, you know, no makeup, no combing the hair. Ladies were just, they were done with some of the status quo. And yet the biblical woman, biblical wife, sees, oh, there's a place for this in my life. But he pairs it with and combines it with, don't just let it be that, but also let it be an inward adornment of a gentle and a quiet spirit. That that beauty, there's an outward beauty and there's an inward beauty, that the outward beauty can be what it is, but that inward beauty 
is precious in the sight of God. And lastly, he says, and here's some examples from the Old Testament. He named Sarah. And there were certainly other godly women, ladies, if you want to research some of that. There's a book by Lockyer called All of the Women in the Bible, which is a great study for women in the Bible and how they came across how they were some ungodly and some godly. Someone once summarized it this way. Wives you can trust. A wife can trust her own ability to influence or control her husband or she can trust God and be submissive. A wife can trust her outward adornment and beauty to influence and control her husband or she can cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. It comes back to ladies trusting God. Do you trust God? And if so, these things certainly apply in our lives. All right, so let's turn our attention to the men. Uh, We leave our discussion of wives and we go to husbands. Look with me at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise. Oh, wait a minute, stop there. Now, Someone brought this out to me years ago, and I'll tell you what, it has stuck with me forever, and I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek, I mean it in the most respectful, honest way that I, I can, you know, imply. And you men might wonder, well, why does the woman get six verses and I only get one? Answer? Women are often more conversational. Amen? I mean, you ask a woman to explain to you something that's going on or share with you what's going on around her life or in her home, and that's, that's a conversation. You ask a guy walking through the door, hey, how was your day? Fine. You know, I mean, we're just like one-word kind of individuals, and so... Yes, the lady's got six verses and the guy gets one. But look at the word likewise. You see, those characteristics. In fact, if you look at, um, you don't have to look there now, but later if you want to read and do kind of a follow-up on marriage, godly marriage, Ephesians chapter 5 is a classic text on the, the Christian, the godly marriage, verses 22 through 33. And there, it begins that classic explanation that a husband and wife are to be submissive one to another out of reverence or fear of the Lord. So let's read it. Verse 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so where we uh, signified five characteristics in those verses, 
verse 1 to 6, there are four characteristics here that we will cite as it relates to the husband or a man. The first of which, notice, is, well, the first of which is submitting. So that's, that's in there as well because it's understood by the word likewise. But the first in this order of four is on the screen for you, a lifelong focus on understanding their wife. Now, men, I know you, husbands, you are taking notes like crazy right now because you want to know how to have this down and you're going to leave this service like wiser than you've ever been. That is being a bit facetious because you're not going to get that wisdom from me. I can only share with you my life and how blessed I am in my marriage. We have a wonderful marriage. And yet I do know what Peter means here by by a lifelong focus to understand my beloved. You see, if Okay, I'm speaking to men. Husbands, guys, if that's not in your heart, then we got a heart problem and we got to go back to your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But if that is in your heart, then you will have to work that out daily in every circumstance and in every situation where you might say, I don't understand them and, and I don't know why it's this way and why is she that way and what does the Bible say to you? Find out and minister. It doesn't say a lifelong focus on how to change your wife, control your wife, steer your wife, guide your wife. It says to understand her. And I know a lot of you husbands here that I know personally are very committed to that and great guys. But there's always room for improvement there, guys. The second characteristic on our list is always honoring the wife. This is all within verse 7. Always honoring the wife. What does that mean? I want you to listen very carefully, man. That means that in your conversation with your wife and about your wife, you should never be defaming her. I'm going to restate it. Men, in your conversation with your wife and about your wife, you should never be talking negatively about her. How many guys do you know that lump their wives or women into one bucket and say, oh, you know, and some coarse or unrespectful jesting takes place. And all the other men in the circle are supposed to go, ha, 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 ha. Wait a minute. That's not wife honoring. And if you and I are going to step up to the plate as men of God in a godless world and a godless society that loves to uh, make horrible jokes about the tendency of, of women then you and I are going to have to step up and in that situation tell those men in that circle, sorry, I won't listen to this. I won't be a part of this. Always honoring the wife. 
The third thing we come to is knowing uh, what the weaker vessel is meant in Scripture. We read it in verse 7. Uh, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And knowing what that means scripturally. The reference is, is more commonly and understandably given to the physical nature. Most women are not quite as strong physically as a man. Now, we've had that kind of, you know, turned around in our culture in our day where they're at the gym working out and, man, some of the biceps on them might be bigger than mine. But predominantly here, biblically, what we're talking about is just a simple physical truth that most women are not quite as strong as a man. And it has nothing to do with their, their spiritual strength or their emotional strength. Uh, oftentimes I find uh, my wife and other are stronger in certain areas. You guys are awfully quiet. <laughs> you didn't know that was going to be the topic today, did you? You thought we were going to talk about something else. Okay, the next thing we have up there is uh, united in prayer with their wife because of the end of verse 7 says uh, the uh, wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, a united prayer life with your wife. Husbands, it simply means that the two of you should be praying in harmony about the same things. doesn't mean that you each need to pray the same way. You each need to uh, agree necessarily with how that one or this one is praying, but rather you need to be in agreement as to the things that you're praying about and praying for. Let me give you some examples. I mean... Guys, so often we're focused on career, you know, uh, location, home, car, tools. Lord, if I could just have that new crescent wrench. Come on, honey, will you pray with me in this? If I could just have that new crescent wrench. Kind of a tongue-in-cheek example, but what I'm talking about is it's to be deeper than that. The depth of the prayer life of the husband and wife is critical. Critical to the success of that marriage and to the direction in which that man and that woman, that husband and that wife will go. And men, I want to tell you, we go back to uh, wife being submissive to their husbands. Guys, you are, you are the head of the household. And you are to exercise that headship with loving and tender care. And if you um, abdicate that role, well, the wife will say, well, if you're not going to run this household, not going to direct us, then I will. And that's not a good picture. I am overwhelmed by the gracious 
behavior of my wife. When we, we first got married, she gave me direct headship of the household. And it was new to me. I didn't know quite how to, to handle that. And men, husbands, maybe some of you are new at marriage. Maybe some of you have been walking in marriage for a while. And, and the idea of headship, you're still wrestling around what it is. It's okay. But know that that's the divine order that God has placed things. And prayer, united in prayer, is key. What you and I both need to remember is that in Peter's day, when he's writing this, I'll give you a commentary on it, says, this was radical teaching in the world that Peter lived in. In that ancient culture, a husband had absolute rights over his wife and the wife had virtually no rights in the marriage. In the Roman world, if a man caught his wife in the act of adultery, he could kill her. But if the wife caught her husband, she could do nothing against him. All the duties and obligations in marriage at this time of this writing were on the wife. Peter is bringing a radical different approach to the covenant of marriage and reminds husbands of their God-ordained call. Wives, husbands. Now there's a proper defense for all believers. Look with me as we read on in verse 8. What does it say? Finally, all of you. That, okay, that just takes care of everybody else. We've got wives, we've got husbands, and all in the Greek means all. All of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, and be tender-hearted, and be courteous, not turning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And so we find these six characteristics that are supposed to be and commanded to be active in the life of every biblical Christian professing believer. Number one, having unity about what you think about Jesus Christ. Where Christ is concerned, there should be unity in, in our minds. That he is God, incarnate. That he is master, he is savior, he is comforter, he is redeemer. He is wonderful, he is almighty. Not to pigeonhole the biblical Christ into a smaller view than who he is. We're to have compassion for others. One of the hardest things for me to do, even in this day and age, where you can almost find yourself justifying it, you pull up to that stop sign, you're in a busy area, and you know there's that person homeless, will work for food, need handout. And how can we not have compassion on someone like that? And yet I know in me, sometimes I fight, well, why don't they go get a job? Or if I just give them a dollar, they're going to go get a drink or that sort of thing. But it's a heart issue. And so you take that 
that point of compassion, whether it's in a very physical, visible sense like that, and bring it into the living room of every situation, we're to have compassion. We're to practice agape love toward our brothers and sisters. Agape love toward brothers and sisters. What is that? Read 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 on. That it's patient, kind, doesn't keep track of wrongs, doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the good. We're to practice that with our brothers and our sisters, to be tender-hearted and courteous and not wanting to return an evil for, with someone who has done evil to us, but instead always endeavor to be a blessing to others. Why? Because all of those characteristics, we're, God's not just asking you or me. He's not, you know, bring it home. He's not saying, you know, today, Art, if you feel like it, Let's have you, you know, think the same about my son as the rest of my church does. Let's have you express a little... No. The end of verse 9. You see it? Knowing that you were called to this. God calls you and I. A holy voice from heaven has said, this is to be the characteristics that are found in every believer's life. And knowing that we don't want to play church or play Christianity, I mean, our lives should be greatly impacted by these truths that are in front of us. Because he goes on, verse 10 for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, not that he doesn't love them, but he's turned his face away from them. But to those who have said, God, I need more of your characteristic active and happening in my life. His eyes are on you and I, and he's looking, and he wants to answer that prayer. 4, verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Here it is. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. I see these very intimately woven together. It's not just for a wife. It's not just for a husband. But it's for all believers. That when these things are true in our life, and certainly... We're a work in progress, right? Are we not? We are a constant work in progress. And where we might fail at a given characteristic, there is grace. Don't forget the grace of God. 
For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we fail, there's grace. But we're still to aspire, aspire to these things, want them, pursue them. And I'll close this morning, because I'm out of time, with a summary statement we can place up there. And if you want to write it down, you can. It's not profound. But I'm going to say the fact of the matter is, is that when you and I are living our lives this way and in pursuit of these things and willing to fall on God's grace when we fail and step back up again and continue to go, when we sanctify or set apart Christ in our heart, give him that rightful place, that it becomes unnecessary to be a theologian. It's not really necessary to know the Roman road or ecclesiology or soteriology or systematic theology, like I said at the opening, although those are all good to know and to study. But the defense that the gospel is true and is right and is embraceable is being spoken loud through our lives. The question is, how? God, how do I do this? The answer is that you can't. And I can't. There is no checkbox except one. And that is to make yourself available and myself available to the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And say, God, fill me with your spirit. Exchange my human spirit for the Holy Spirit. And cause me, O God, to know your voice. And to hear you speak when you're speaking. To know you're leading when you're leading. To follow your guide when you're guiding. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So it's not about us just pulling up our bootstraps and being, but rather falling on our face before God and saying, God, do your work in me. And your life and mine will be a proper defense for the gospel. Perhaps you want that this morning. And the reason you're here on this day, on this particular text, is because God has wanted more of your heart. He's wanted more of your availability. And you knew it. He's been nudging, knocking on that heart. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord, come in. I give. Throw up the white flag and say, I'm all yours. And you can pray that prayer right now. You can leave here changed by the grace of God. We're going to worship. 
Your time with God can be private. You can make it public if you want. There's an altar. You can come and kneel. Whatever you want to do, but don't let this moment go by without a response. Will you join me as we pray? Worship team, we come for. Heavenly Father, what a precious and deep and clear uh, word to us this morning as your church. As men and women and young people have said, we want to walk with the living God. And so, Lord, you may in fact be speaking this morning to some of us maybe all of us and because you are speaking Lord whatever you want to say has to do with our hearts being right before you and Lord we just don't want to leave here unless we know our heart is right we've sanctified you in our heart and set you apart So we say, have your way, Lord. Have your way. You know every one of us, Lord. You know where we're at. And we give you license now to have your way with us.